Are you a victim crippled by the minotaur in the labyrinth of your mind? Or will you fight your biggest challenges like Theseus and fulfill your potential? My name is Zulfakar and welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Uh, my guest today is Frankie Finn, who is an entrepreneur, shaman, speaker, author, and world traveler. He has been in digital marketing since 2007 and is the author of a book entitled Beyond the Agency Box. Frankie has been featured with the world's number one marketer, Jay Abraham. He has also written for several magazines, been featured in numerous podcasts and articles, and has spoken on stages all around the world. His specialities include client selection, lifestyle design, um, and spirituality. Frankie, thank you for being here and welcome. Zulfikar, a pleasure, my friend. I've been wanting to connect with you like this for a while, so it's <laughs> Brilliant. So, I mean, just, you know, just to kick things off, just give us a little brief history and background about who you are and, and what you do. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's funny how life throws you those crazy curveballs along the way. I didn't, I didn't wake up and one day say, I want to be the cool guy who works on the internet and travels the world. Like, I know a lot of people have that dream, but when I first got into it, it wasn't even a thing. In fact, it was just a friend of mine one day called me up and said, Hey, you're really good with computers. I, I built a course and we're going to sell it on the internet. And this was way back in 2007. And there were way less tools and even ways to take payment and, and all of that. But, you know, as many of you may remember, the, the, the whole economy situa situation was kind of not the greatest. So I didn't really have a lot of choice. And uh, it turned out to be like one of those, as life often does, like one of the biggest blessings in, in disguise, because it allowed me to basically to make a living anywhere in the world. And I didn't know I was setting myself up for that. But it's, it's, it's radically changed how I see it. Like right now, I'm, I'm, you know, doing this interview with you in Mexico. And two weeks ago, I was in Germany, which is where I used to live. So it's, it's been like that. And now today, you know, I help a lot of people to do that same kind of thing is to make that transition into having a life that, you know, can be earned anywhere and, and mostly runs without you. Okay. So talk to us about, I mean, if, if I remember correctly, you used to work with a lot of lawyers before. So was that helping lawyers build a, a digital marketing presence? I mean, what, what work did you do there and, and what's the difference that you do now? I, I'm still actually working with a couple of lawyers. I don't, I haven't uh, had the same kind of crazy, uh, growth strategy after two babies things slow down a little bit <laughs> yeah. compared to the single guy but you know as, as you know having gone down the the lawyer path and i didn't know this when i first got into it but lawyers have like a notoriously horrible reputation around the world you know like lawyers are assholes lawyers are yes. evil lawyers will <laughs> cheat and steal from you and um some of that, a small percentage of that is earned, but a lot of it is just the nature of the business. People come to you when they're in their worst situations. And I, I realized as I got into it, part of the reason I wanted to help and work with lawyers is it's actually one of the most thankless jobs on the face of the earth. And I know actually when I was doing SEO for like seven years, the, the number of times somebody actually said, thank you, like job well done, even though I, I did my best all the time, I could count on one hand, <laughs> having worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people is, you know, thank yous were just extremely rare. And I think being a lawyer is like that because you get put in a situation, somebody's in the worst situation of their life. They're trying to often like recuperate whatever semblance of normality they can get from it. 
and lawyers are not trained to be marketers and to present themselves well and to communicate. And, and often too, the dream they were sold and in getting into it is, is a lot harder they're a lot different, you know, you're still, you're going to change the world. And then like, you see things like suits and TV shows like that. And then in reality, you're drowning in paperwork and, you know, trying to get 5,200 billable hours. And so I developed a real soft spot for just uh, people that everyone else considered to be like, kind of like, I don't know, the thankless people of society. It just, it, it, it always struck a chord with me. So. Yeah. I mean, well, talk to me about lawyers because you know, obviously, I'm a lawyer as well, lawyer as well and uh, and I totally agree with you there. We are, are terrible at, at marketing, um, and a lot of it does come down to lawyers not willing to. Like, there's a lot of lawyers that I know who who think they know it all, and, and their way is the best way, and they they're not open to maybe different forms of marketing. Like, what was your experience with that? And and I still know a lot of lawyers who they still haven't really leveraged and utilize the online space what advice have you got for them to you know take their marketing to, to the next level yeah you know the, the the biggest thing is is probably the hardest thing to do if you're a lawyer because so much of being a lawyer is being seen as a professional by your peers but it's like do you want to get hired by your peers or do you want to get hired by end clients and i'll tell you like where i've noticed this the most obvious in um personal injury. I would talk to a personal injury lawyer who's really struggling to, to consistently get clients in the door. And then I read their website and it'll say <laughs> Finn and Associates is a plaintiff personal injury with 40 years of uh, aggressive legal representation and our clients rate us number one in satisfaction. And it makes sense if you're another lawyer, what they're saying, but to every normal human being, you're like, I don't even know what he's telling me right now. And then I would see, I would go you know, to some of the masterminds with some of the top lawyers in the world and some of the guys in there will like their advertisements say, in a wreck, get a check, in a wreck, get a check. And it's so much simpler to the everyday average person that they could get it. And if you're willing to let go of, um, of trying to win over your peers and just think about like the simplest way to connect with people, you'll, you'll do far more impact. And I'll tell you like one of the simple examples of that is, you know, I didn't know this when I got into it, but so many personal injury lawyers have, people, especially in America, that help with medical bills. And it's like, you don't need to tell people you're aggressive and you'll fight hard. Just tell them you have people that help with medical bills and that's enough, right? Because that's what they're dealing with. Brilliant, brilliant. Love it. So, uh, I mean, the purpose of today, really, obviously, we connected. Uh, I mean, we've been connected for a while now, but we reconnected recently from some of the posts that I've been putting out about DMT and ayahuasca. So, you, you, you are a shaman. Uh, for people who don't know what that is, could you first just explain what is a shaman and, and what do you do? Um, can you say that last part again? I think my Mexican Wi-Fi is... Just oh, sorry, yeah. So basically, uh, just to start this part of the conversation, you know, can you just explain for those that don't know, what is a shaman uh, and, and what do you do? Yeah, I'll tell you, to be honest, I didn't even know what it was when I got into it. We have a saying in our lineage, which is the, the spirits choose you, you don't choose it. And to, to give you guys an idea of just like how I got into it, I ended up, and I'll give you the short version because kind of a longer story, but um, I tried ayahuasca on my own, which I don't recommend anybody do, but I found out you can buy the internet or the ingredients legally on the internet separately <laughs> because it's not illegal until you combine them into something. So, so when, how and long ago was that? So I did was that approximately when was that? Um, I want to say like 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. Okay. No. And, um, and 
I remember I progressively tried it a couple times stronger and I, I tried, I, I, I read about all these cool, mystical, life altering people seeing angels and having their blindness restored, vision restored and cancer healed. And I just, um, I just decided I had to try it. And so, so, so I remember just that. You, just before you carry on, you know, what, what brought it to your attention? Like, you know, was there something you saw on the internet? Did somebody tell you about it? What made you aware of it? I was, I was actually listening to a speaker one day and he mentioned that he had tried it and he had this like moment of infinity where time stopped and this voice spoke to him. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I grew up with like two alcoholic parents who, and my dad in particular abused a lot of drugs. I was very like, no, drugs are bad. You don't do drugs. And then I was like, actually, that sounds kind of interesting. I have to at least try that one time before I die. And um so yeah, so when I ended up ordering it, I ended up um, making it 50 to 100 times as strong as the internet recommended. And I had a little prayer of intention before I drank it that time, which sounds like this, which is, please, God, don't fucking kill me. <laughs> right? Like, please just like, I'm just trying to have a mystical experience, but don't, 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 don't let it end this way. And um it was, it was interesting because I had a whole experience, but it, it was the next day when I was sober, I started seeing the same synchronicity over and over. Like, and it was, it was weird, like to the point, like the matrix bending reality. I remember I would watch a lot of my hockey team back then, the Canadian stereotype, I would turn on the game and the score would be one, one in the first period with 11, 11 to go. And it would just be like ones across, like the second I turned it on, it was one, 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 one. And I saw blue butterflies just over and over and over and over. And it eventually led me to a retreat down in Peru where I tried it. And then I had a, like, you know, kind of a real mystical experience and, and that's it. That's how you get into to shamanism. You kind of get, you know, just led by signs and things. And it's, it's, it's a way to like provide, I guess, when you do it for other people to provide guided healings into these worlds that frankly, we're not taught about in our society and exist. And we know very, very little about, even as somebody who's been on many journeys, like the, the section called, I don't know is like way bigger than the section called, I do know. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of just like, um, for people who've never been through it, it's like, if you're going to climb Mount Everest, make sure you take a Sherpa who's been up the mountain before you go. Right. Okay. So sh being a shaman then, so do you have to go through a, a regular, rigorous course before, you know, you're, you know, to use Western corporate language, to qualify as a shaman or is it just you know you take the experience you do it a few times and uh, and you can call yourself you know what is the process there yeah you know i, I it's a little bit different for everybody but it's, it's a very non-linear journey because you you learn in and through life including even in your dreams so it's it's not like it's not like you get to push the off button and say okay here's when the course begins and here's when the the course is off um for me personally it was just like I just came there. I, I, it was very, very simple. I was mad a lot of the time and I had a lot of anxiety and I was just trying to heal my own stuff. And I had tried everything else and nothing had worked. So um, it was just like a, a new way of trying to deal with that. And I can actually remember like the exact moment in ayahuasca that I released my anxiety, like, like for, literally from one moment to the next, I just didn't have it anymore. And uh, when you go through this thing, at some point, you, you're just trying to heal and heal and heal at all your own little things. And you see how deep, you know, your own being is kind of like an onion. And then at some, at some point, somebody else says, 
hey, I'm struggling with anxiety. And you go, oh, I had that exact same thing. And you realize you can help him. And before you know it, you're helping other people. And then based on the things you've healed within yourself, like the, the growing number of things you're able to heal and other people gets bigger because you've literally been exactly in their shoes. But I certainly did not wake up and say, one day I want to help other people and do this kind of thing. It was, it was far from that. I was just you know, a selfish Westerner trying to, uh, to make my own life better. Okay, so... Talk us through then the the ceremony then, you know, so if somebody's interested right now um, and, and, you know, they want to try this experience, firstly, maybe explain what ayahuasca is, um, what its benefits are, uh, and, and why would somebody want to try it? Um, yeah, so let, I guess let's start that, that answer from the beginning because that's, that's a good couple of questions there. If you've never done it, it's a, it's a hallucinogenic tea that is made of two components. One is called the ayahuasca vine, which is what it's named after. The other is a DMT containing leaf. Traditionally in most uh, jungle cultures where it's legal in the Amazon, they've had this kind of healing for five or 10,000 years. Nobody really knows for sure. They use a leaf called chacruna, which is the DMT uh, containing part. And if you've never really heard of DMT, it, it's something that your brain makes when you have REM sleep, supposedly in near-death experiences, you get a whole DMT spike. So um, chemically, it's basically the most potent hallucinogenic substance on earth. Now, the natives will tell you it's not just a chemical. And this took me a long time to reconcile because people say, well, is it a drug or are these experiences real? And it's not an either or, it's, it's a both kind of thing. Um, but through ayahuasca it's a tool that brings somebody into like other realms of consciousness and contrary to what people think the magic is not actually purely in the ayahuasca it's actually also in the shaman guiding it it's i kind of compare it to like ayahuasca is a radio station and the healing and the medicine the shaman dials in that radio station but if you just take it on your own which i've had the uh, experience of trying it on my own and with the master shaman and they're just they're night and day different experiences it goes a thousand times deeper and it's way more impactful and powerful and it, it's i mean it, it literally just you're not one person from um from one day to the next you're a completely different human being it's like it, it literally if you have those kind of experience you're more changed than you'll ever be and in doing so in these really deep altered visionary uh states we're almost anything can happen it's really a, it, there's an infinite amount, amount of things that can happen um, at least you know the, how I've been taught in my lineage is, is we go through the healing modalities and heal like deep things that have much much deeper uh, underlying issues like so for me um, personally like you know I got started with an anxiety and I can actually remember the moment of letting all that go and uh, and then yeah, in, in a hallucinatory state, I released that, but I've literally never had it for 10 years since. I've never had anxiety ever come back. So the, the number one thing people report and like why somebody want to do it is, is uh, especially things like depression and anxiety, addictions, um, purposelessness, like, you know, what is this crazy life? What am I doing here on this rock spinning in outer space? You know, especially, and um there, you know, there's some other, like, sometimes people have like physical conditions that they've just tried everything else and nothing will heal it. And for a lot of those people, ayahuasca just tends to be the only thing that ever works. And it, it, it makes you in many ways face who 
um, you really are underneath it and what you thought reality was. Like what literally what I thought reality was pre-ayahuasca and post-ayahuasca are just very night and day different kind of things. Okay, okay. So then talk us through the, the, the ceremony then, you know, so, you know, is there a, is there a ritual? Is there a ceremony? Or do you just drink it? Uh, you know, what, what's the process? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's fairly simple, the, the ceremony itself. Um, so what happens is um, uh, shamans all make their own sort of brew of ayahuasca. And so, you know, like my master shaman has his own. And then what they'll typically do is do like kind of like a shamanic blessing where they'll sing different kind of like Amazonian tree spirits and things, thing, which I know I understand sounds a little unusual if you if you're, grew up a Westerner like me, but that's, that's really what it is. And, um, and then what ends up happening is, you know, everybody takes their turn and drinks and you set various intentions for your reason for being there. And then what ends up happening is there's a delayed fuse with any sort of psychedelic substance. So you drink it and then you probably spend the next anywhere from like 20 minutes to an hour going, oh, I don't even think it's going to work. I didn't take that much. And then instantly somewhere in there it hits. And then usually right about then the, uh, the shaman will sing various medicine kind of songs and be holding like an energetic space around the ceremony. And, uh, and then the journeys begin and the, the wildness and the craziness. And each one of them is sort of guided by their own Icaros. Like there is Icaros are the songs that, that they sing to different spirits. So for example, there's calming ones. So if, if the shamans hear like, holy cow, a bunch of people are freaking out because reality is melting around them and everything they thought was true. And they're facing their childhood trauma and they're freaking out. You know, he can sing in an Icaro that just like, hey, relax everybody. Um, but also if they know that you need to build up the intensity in order to release and face something, there's Icaros for that. And so it kind of depends a little bit on the, the feel of it. It's, 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 um, there's no one set pattern for where it goes, but the, it's always contained by the same kind of Icaros and the same kind of energies and the same kind of healing modalities. Okay. And, and could you possibly maybe explain in as much detail as, as you're comfortable with sharing, what did you see in one of your experiences Like you know, can you describe it? Like what, 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 what did you see? What were you feeling? Um, was it scary? Was it exciting? Was it both? Like, like what happened? Um, yeah, this is probably the thing I get asked the most and it's the hardest to answer because there, there are things you experience that are beyond words mm -hmm. and, um, but I will do my best. One of the things that happened for me. So the first time I actually went down to the jungle and had it in Peru and I had been led by two years of synchronicities. I remember they have a homebrew, which is um, two to four times as strong as they use for like guests. It's just used privately for training shamans. And the most they ever give anybody is a full cup of ayahuasca in the center I went to is known as having the strongest stuff. So in, in essence, they gave me the biggest dose of their strongest version from the place that already makes the strongest stuff. And so like I got a maximum dose on day one. And I remember when they poured it for me, there were like 10 of us drinking together and they, they went, ooh. And I didn't really know what that meant until I took it. And, and typically what happens is when you take ayahuasca, there can be up to, and sometimes longer, an hour delay before you feel the effects and your body processes it. I was hallucinating within five seconds <laughs> from the time I put it in my stomach and I went like, so like intense does not even begin to describe what was going on because that was just the very beginning. <coughs> my youngest daughter's right over there at the door. 
Um, so it started kind of like um, abstract with colors and patterns. And eventually it just kept building and building and building at some point. I was in the middle of the jungle floor. It's, uh, you know, 30 degrees Celsius at its seven or eight blankets. And in my visionary state, I was convinced I was freezing to death. And eventually it got so, so cold that I froze to death. And I became this like, kind of like infinite energy, just aware of everything in all ways. And it was like, all of a sudden, like a infinite spoke of existence and just the speed of light in every direction, it just started creating beings and creating worlds. And those worlds were creating things and all of this was happening at once. And I was in the middle seeing and connected to it all. And it just built and built and built. And sometimes it would collapse into itself and explode like a big bang. And I suddenly just like in these moments, I'm like, I know everything. Like I knew like in, in my own experience, why the color of my walls growing up was blue and all these things that just never made sense in life. And life suddenly took on this life of like, it was this way bigger game that I had no idea I was even playing. It was just way bigger than I could have even possibly imagined. And the, like, and even like things would happen where I started just to become thankful for every moment of my life. And then it, it grew and grew until it be, I just became infinitely thankful. And then it exploded again. And I became infinitely thankful that I could be infinitely thankful. And I went a level past that. And then it would collapse back down into itself. And then all of a sudden it would be completely still. And I could see, you know, all these different past and future lives and everything happening now. And, and I saw colors that I had never even seen before and different sounds. And I met spirits and like a hundred thousand times in a row, I met a spirit that would say to me, you can't be separate. You can't be separate. And then like a bird would fly by like, you can't be separate. And I was like, I didn't, what the hell are these things talking about? And eventually you reach this state I'm not telling anybody what to believe. I'm just sharing what my experience where you realize that there's just this one infinite energy, call it God, call it whatever you want to call it behind all things. And that you just kind of, in many ways, went through a portal to access what was in you the whole time, but because you, you couldn't even conceptualize what it is, you could never really access it. And then all of a sudden uh, at some point I wake up, I'm on the jungle floor and I'm like, you know, five minutes ago, I just knew everything. And I'm looking at uh, two master shamans drinking coffee and having cornflakes because to them, it was just like, oh, that, that's what we do here. We bring you to God. How did you not know that? Right. And it was the most normal thing in the world for them. To them, it's like, you know, just driving 10 minutes up the road to work and back. Um, but I, you, you know, I, for me, then like the, the after effects, I probably just spent you know, the next month in contemplation of just like, what the hell happened to me? And, and eventually like a dream, a lot of that started to fade. And then what, what would happen is over time, like three months later, I would remember a piece of that vision. And then almost like, I don't want to say flashbacks because they weren't like, um, it wasn't like all like PTSD, like, oh my God, I'm having a flashback. <laughs> but, it, but I would just remember, I would go, oh, that's right. I've met a hundred thousand beings that all said, you can't be separate. And um and so as I've gone through this and had, you know, more and more visions, like things like that have just um, built on each other. So that, that's, that, those are like the kind of things that can happen in an ayahuasca experience. Okay, so there's so much to unpack in there. So hopefully I'm going to remember it all, but let's just try and break it down bit by bit. So whilst you're having these visions and, and whilst other people are having these visions, what is the physical body doing? Are, are you still, are you walking around? Like what's happening to your physical body 
And, and is there a difference between time and space? Like, did the vision last, say, for, for maybe felt like an hour, but really it was a few minutes? Uh, let's start there, and then I'll move on to the other questions that I've got. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how much you had. When you have a full cup like I did the first time, there's zero awareness of body, and that happens after about 10 minutes. And definitely extreme, extreme, extreme time dilation. And actually, my master shaman said a few times, I always found it funny that I would ask people when we're eight minutes into the ceremony, how long do you think it's been? And they'd go, oh, it's been like four hours. And I'm like, no, no, we're, we're, we're eight minutes in. <laughs> we're just getting started. It's hard to explain because when you, when you start to, to disconnect from physicality, there's, there's a different kind of set of time, this kind of eternal now that takes over. And because it doesn't move on like linear clock time, the way we experience it in physicality, you can be there a long time and then in physicality, not a lot of time has elapsed. It, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but if you experience it, you, you, you know what I mean? And so, um, yes, definitely extreme, extreme time dilation. I, I, I honestly felt like 10 years older from one day to the next. It was, it was like, um, there's a song by a, a guy, you know, I took a pill in Ibiza. And, the, and he says in the song, and I felt 10 years older, I'm like, I, I very much relate <laughs> to that lyric because, um, you know, I was just older and wiser and, you know, knew more. But at the same time, I, I realized how much I didn't know. And I was way more humbler from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things um, definitely, definitely happen. Now, as far as the physical body, there are like doses you can take where you're kind of half in spirit, half in physicality, and you can still get up and go to the bathroom and things like that. Um, you know, when you get to the bathroom, you'll be tripping balls. We call it, we have actually have a name for it. We call it the bathroom vortex because this is a common experience where ayahuasca, especially when you're first learning to use it as a healing modality, causes you to purge a lot physically, which means either vomiting or like urgently needing to go to the bathroom. And what ends up happening, you get on the bathroom or you get on the toilet and then all of a sudden like some kind of hallucinatory vision takes over <laughs> and then you like leave your body, but you're, you know, physically sitting on a toilet and then you, and then when you come back to it, you realize, oh yeah, what am I doing here? That's right. I'm on the toilet. And then often like in another Ikaro hits and you get taken far away. So we have, we, we jokingly call it the bathroom vortex because sometimes you, you know, you go to go to the bathroom and you get stuck there an hour. Um, Cool. So, so when, you did, when you did this full-blown experience and then does the body itself paralyze then or you know what what happens to the body does it turn into like like you're just sleeping and it just paralyzes there while you're having this experience or does it still move around um on the higher doses honestly you just you just kind of lose awareness of it like you just like kind of let it go and almost... so like, have you seen other people whilst they're going through the ceremony and they're having the trip like is their body is it still are they going crazy? Like what's happening to the body? Um, you know, everybody deals with it a little bit differently. And some people, um, you know, kind of, uh, because it, what it does more than anything is it brings people into trance. So how you get into like a meditative trance state, like it's a much deeper version of that. I compare it to like, you know, I, one peak ayahuasca journey is, is like 30 years of meditation in a cave. Um, but the, the way somebody deals with it in physicality is probably going to be an indicator of how they're going to deal. So some people flop around on the floor. Or they're like, you know, and they're, I love you and I love everyone. You, you hear things like that. Um, and then some people are just like statue still. 
Um, there's, there's no one way that people handle it, but usually um, if you're doing it like a medicine kind of practice, the ayahuasca is never doing something to you other than what you've asked. Although at times that can be really hard. So for example, like when I first got into it, you know, I asked about the anxiety and then I had to face all my anxiety and it was like so intense. I experienced more anxiety than I've ever felt in my life. Um, and so when I'm like moving around physically, I'm, I probably looked, you know, like very jittery, like I just had 25 cups of coffee, but that was because in the moment I'm releasing all these waves of anxiety. So I don't know if there's, there's one way the body reacts to it physically on the kind of intermediate doses, you, you, you do still have awareness over your body. So you're not like totally out of it. Um, but when you get into the higher doses, it almost just feels like just floating away as you just close your eyes, it just becomes not a thing anymore. And you go into this kind of endless world of creation that's always around you, but is very easy to forget. Okay, so obviously people that are skeptical about these kind of things, and, and they'll be listening to that, and they'll be saying, well, this is just every other drug, uh, an effect of a drug, you know, why, why is this different from, from the normal, or what's considered as, you know, the bad drugs, and people that are just tripped out and out of their heads, like, what makes this one different from those things, and why is this one more special? Well, I think the biggest reason is that it actually works. Like if you actually look at some of the healing rates for things like depression for people who um, are on the various, you know, uh, substances from pharmaceutical companies, like they barely have numbers better than placebos, right? Like they're they're And you know, I see all the time, like in our society, people say I'm depressed and there's just some kind of emptiness that they're working some job they don't like and they don't feel good about what they're doing and they can't quite find their purpose and it's just like life feels empty and that's a really like way too common thing in our society and the normal things the normal avenues people go through which certainly have merit in their own ways but um you know the pharmaceuticals the going to to a therapist and talking to somebody and and i've met people who've you know been to a therapist 15 years and they're still talking about their mommy issues, you know, 15 years later. And it's, it's just, it doesn't address those deeper underlying things some, for a lot of people. And for some people, it's really helpful. So I'm not like in any way saying bad things about that, but like, for example, with addiction, I know that the healing rates with ayahuasca are almost a hundred percent. Meaning if you go and you stay there 10 days in a row and you do some ayahuasca to heal your addiction, more than likely you're going to leave almost with certainty healed of your addiction, right? And, and I don't say like 100% because, you know, there are probably exceptions to that rule. Um, but, you know, I, don't, I, I just don't see those kind of things in traditional healing modalities. So the first thing is whether you think it's just like a drug or and it's all hallucination and whatever, um, nonetheless, it's effective, right? That's the first reason I think they're um, people, and it's, it's certainly not for everybody. So I'm not like trying to tell everybody to take it either. Um, the second thing too is, is the experiences it leaves you are the easily the most profound of your life, easily. Um, and so I don't know that I've had those kind of profound experience. Like if you ask me like the, the hundred coolest things that have ever happened to me in life, like at least 75 of those happened in ayahuasca, right? Like, um, so there's just like an, an un, it gives you access to an unending infinite love and beauty that we just don't see in everyday reality. Maybe it's that we don't see it. So we don't typically feel connected from, but it's always there. And once you discover it in these 
like kind of higher realms that becomes easier to access in your day-to-day living. And then, and then the simple becomes beautiful again in, in what you're already doing. So I don't know if that's a perfect answer. I don't think it's for everybody. So I'm not like trying to sell everybody, like go take ayahuasca, but if, if it's meant for you, you know it. And, it, and, and if you do that, you should, because it, it will change your life. And okay. so, okay. so many ways. So before I turn the conversation in a different direction, just to follow up on that, then obviously you've, you've been through the ceremony, uh, this ceremony a few times. Uh, you've had anxiety. You, you've been healed from the anxiety for 10 years. So why would you then need to go on further uh, ceremonies and, and take it again and again? Um, yeah, that's a good question. And, and healing is one reason to do that. And what you find is often when you heal one thing, you realize you had some other thing. Like for me, actually, uh, getting into it, I, I, I kind of felt stuck in my business, to be quite honest with you. And, uh, you know, I wasn't like making the money I wanted to. And every time I thought about me being successful, I, that thought caused me a great deal of anxiety and I didn't always know how to deal with like the panic attacks that came with it. So I thought, Oh, if I just heal my anxiety, everything will be magically better. But it turns out, you know, I had anger issues and I, you know, was unkind to people. And there were so many other things layers past that, that when you get past, you know, layer number one, there's a layer number two. So there, there was one of the reasons. Um, but another reason is not necessarily, um, to, to fix anything that's broken. It's, it's, it's an exploratory journey at the same time, because you're like, you know, I met like for real, I've met, you know, the, the being one would call Christ. I've met the Buddha in these kind of visionary states. I've met like, you know, ascended masters and archangels. And I've had conversations with the infinite energy one would call God and all those kind of things. It's like, you know, what am I going to do? Sit home on Friday night and watch Netflix or go into an experience and, and talk to the infinite creator of the universe. Right. So um, one reason to, to keep going is just for the exploratory nature of consciousness itself. And I think if you're interested in that, it's, it, there's nothing better that I've ever found on this planet to, to take you into that. Well, well, that's actually quite perfect because this is where I wanted to take the conversation next anyway. So these entities spiritual beings um intelligent beings talk to us about this and so firstly how how do you know they they are who you think they are and and they're not let's say malevolent or evil beings pretending to be something uh and is there a a threat and a risk of of evil entities trying to come and 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 almost uh affect your experience and, and try and come into your body? Um, I mean, talk, talk to us a little bit about that. That's a really good question. And I think it's a little bit hard for, for most of us Westerners to understand because we usually grew up in some kind of like Abrahamic religion, which says like good and evil are these dualities and there's some kind of fight for your soul. And when you get into these experiences, you realize that the true nature of your soul is everyone and everything. And it is, it is, infinite and you know um religion can be a tool to bring you closer to that truth but ultimately the real truth is is inside of you and cannot be told through any book or any story or anything like that um so because of that you you always have an internal guidance system that lets you know you know intuitively just feeling wise whether that being has your best interest and really loves and cares for you and i think that's not just true in spiritual journeys you can tell that in regular everyday life when when somebody's looking at you and they're like thinking badly about you and they're going to try and take your wallet you can usually feel that 
when your grandma comes up to you and is like, I'm so happy to see you and gives you a big hug. You can feel that too. Right. So it's, it's, it's not a new thing. It's just applying that on a, uh, a deeper level. And as far as, um, 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 I was just, I was thinking about like a, a good story. So like, for example, one of the things, how do you know who they say they are? In a lot of ways, it, it, it's different than you think it are. So I actually had an experience. I, I remember this Christ experience and I grew up, you know, like Christian. So that like kind of had a lot of pre-existing connotations for me. But I remember I, I just all of a sudden saw a long haired dude with sandals and the white robe. And I was like, hey, you're Jesus. And I was like, but you can't really look like that. And he was very stereotypical. And he was like, my son, if I didn't show up looking like this, how would you know it was me? Mm-hmm. And um, when I got into the, uh, the experience, um, I remember I was stuck on something in my life. I couldn't tell you what it was now because I got unstuck very fast at that point. But I remember saying, Jesus, I came to you because I got this question and I don't, I don't know what to do with my life about this one thing. And I remember... He said, um, I've been meditating for a million years in anticipation of you asking me this question. (laughs) And I immediately laughed. I'm like, yeah, a million years. And then all of a sudden it flashed in my mind that he had literally been sitting under a tree in infinite time, meditating for a million years, just thinking about me. And as soon as he answered the first question, I, I remember it immediately raised a second question and then, I, and then a third and then a fourth and then a fifth. And eventually like I had a series of questions that were like 20, 25 questions long. And then he looked at me and said, that's why I've been meditating because I knew when I answered the first, you would ask the second and the third. And so I was really, I had to figure out the perfect answer for 25 questions. And uh, I felt at the time this just like overwhelming love of existence, like, directed at me and it was it was just so pure and so beautiful and uh, like honestly you just don't get that in sort of like human experiences and like everyday they're they're possible but we just you know we're we're relatively disconnected from those and so you know like nobody had to tell me that that being in that moment had my best interest at heart because I just like I could feel it on all levels of my being just being cared for. And, and I've, you know, I've had other experiences like that with other beings and things that you meet in that. And you just feel this like intense, pure radiating love of, of, you know, return to source, return to wholeness. And so, um, but having said that, there is a whole area of shamanism that is practicing the dark arts. And a lot of people actually go down to Peru thinking they're going to drink ayahuasca and they're going to go get healed and pick the wrong person and don't do their homework and end up far, far worse um, um, than they started. I've never like been there personally, but I suspect that what we call schizophrenia Mm -hmm. is a very, very close state of consciousness to like some of the states that people are brought into and some of the the dark ones. And I've had experience personally where um, um, kind of like where we've had to like battle for our lives against other dark shamans who like in non-physical realms, just pick a fight with you. And it's, it's very like Neo versus agent Smith in the matrix where anything goes and you have no bodies and, and you can be killed in those States and you can be hurt in those States um, killed physically, not like your eternal spirit, but um, 
there definitely is like a dark part to that. And I don't think enough people talk about that because they like when they tell the stories of ayahuasca, it's this magic healing um, compound. But actually most people who take ayahuasca because they won't take it with a shaman who actually knows how to go into the healing states won't go into the healing parts of it all. A few of them will make the mistake of getting into the dark arts and especially in like some areas of Peru, it, it's the shorter, faster, easier path to becoming a shaman is to hurt people and to harm people and to do those kind of things. Um, but the, the true healers, like you can, just like I mentioned with the Jesus kind of thing, you, you can feel that in your being that they just want what's best for you. They have no other agenda than what you want for yourself and what that highest choice is for you. And it, it takes practice both like when you're training in shamanism to, to, to want that choice for yourself as well as others. And it's, you know, it's something we work at constantly. It's, it's a never ending battle. And, you know, I still have days where I wake up tired and angry at the world because my children got me up at five in the morning, but I have to, to reset myself and find the, find the love and find the heart. Um, so yeah, there, it definitely has capacities for light and dark. And then to a lot of people will see that it from like a, the, their religion upbringing saying, yeah, it's trafficking with the devil and things like that. And I understand why they see it that way. Um, but, you know, nothing really could be further from the truth in many ways. Um, you know, the way religions are practiced are used to control people. And that in itself is a dark art. And so they, they don't realize them saying, I'm afraid of this light thing. I'll stay in my little safe world as actually being stuck in, in some, you know, energetic place of, uh, you know, something I would call not good. So there are all those dark things, there are all, all those light things. And you ultimately realize that they're all aspects of you, of all of us. And it's what separates the two is just the simple power of choice is you become aware of, of both of those choices and you make the one that's the highest for you. Okay, so I mean, I absolutely love all of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's just so many questions now. <laughs> but so let's just stick to the, the theme of, of, of religion. Um, so, you, you know, you've met this Christ figure, but then you said you also met the infinite creator or God, whichever word you want to use. So in, in, in obviously the Christian religion, Jesus and God is the son of God. It's, it's, Jesus is God. After, I mean, and if, if I'm correct, you, you had a Christian upbringing. Is that still the case then? Is Jesus God the same being? Or are these two separate beings altogether? That's the first question. Um, the part of what you learn in these is a deeper truth that there are no separate beings at all, mm -hmm. not Christ, not Muhammad, not Buddha. All of it is the real you. The real you is the infinite behind all forms. And there is no opposition to you. There's just you, me, you, the awareness behind your being and the awareness behind my being are the same being. And it took me a while to get that. Like I, I for real, I literally had it repeated a hundred thousand times with my spirits. There is no separation. You can't be separate. You can't be separate. And it's, it's hard when you grow up in a religious thing. Part of it is, is we're trained in our society to believe that what you see with your eyes outwardly is real. And that's really more of the effect of your creation. And when you start saying like, no, you have the power to create reality. A lot of people would say, oh, that's really, really woo woo. But in ayahuasca, you experience that quite quite literally like you experience like reality just kind of melting before you and your capacity to move and to play with it and to um it, it's almost like it starts to flow like uh just like water like you know the difference between 
you know, looking out your eyes is seeing a painting of water. And when you see the ocean, like actually moving with waves, that's, that's how like reality starts to kind of, to flow. So, um, as, sorry, can, can you, can you help me for a second here, just with your original question with religion? I, so, I kind of you spoke to the being that is Christ. And, and then you spoke to the infant being the, the creator. So I'm saying, obviously from a Christian perspective, Jesus and God is the same the son of God after having this experience, is, is that still the case or were these different entities, yeah. separate beings? Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that I guess I've learned from it is like every piece of reality is like a snowflake. Like it's a little bit unique. Even when people think they practice the same religion, they don't really. Um, and I had this with somebody who's trying to convince me that physical reality is out there and we were sitting at a table and he said, there's salt on the table and we both agree it's salt. So how can you tell me like you're creating reality and it's different than my reality? And I said, say the word salt. And then he said it. And I said, you notice we say the word a little bit differently. And I said, you know, and our taste buds aren't exactly the same. And we can't ever really know that when I taste salt and what you taste salt are exactly the same thing. And even the way you see it and relate to it is a little bit different. And how you're going to put it on your foods a little bit different and how it's going to react to your body is a little bit different. So we tend to think of religion as these like big sweeping things, but everybody has their own kind of individual version of it. And you see this, especially in like growing up Christian, there's, there's almost like 40,000 different variations of Christianity and they fight each other and don't agree with all um, these, you know, different versions of it. But in actuality, they're all viable, acceptable paths that are leading you back to that same truth. And for most people on earth, they won't realize that until they're dead until um, they're not physical anymore. But like ayahuasca allows you to learn that truth before you have to die, that you have the power to shape your own dream and to, to have heaven be now and not some later thing you do as a, like a reward and punishment system. And, you know, just to give you an idea, the first time I had like a, a God experience, I remember all I could just feel was like, my consciousness just expanding in every direction. And it just like got really, really big. And then I remember um, just being in this presence of this infinite, like radiating, just pure consciousness in every way. And I remember like not even knowing what to expect. And the first thing that I heard from this infinite consciousness was a penis joke. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like I get to the infinite and you're going to give me like a cock joke like this. You, you can't be making this up. And, and I realized really quickly that of course, infinite intelligence understood my like childish high school kind of humor where penis jokes were funny. And I don't even remember what the joke was at the time. And um, after it made this joke, I was like, you know, you, you can't do that. Like, that's not how God works. And, and, and I remember it was like, who do you think invented humor? And, and you think I don't, of all beings in existence, you think I don't under, understand your humor? I gave you your humor. <laughs> and so and it, we just had this like, like my first introduction to the infinite intelligence was like, like just a series of penis jokes that we laughed about in my life and, and like dirty boyish humor. And I've had many of those experiences since and, and often still I will be greeted the infinite intelligence with a, with a penis joke just out of nowhere. And, and you think like when you grow up with our concepts of religion that you, you think that infinite loving intelligence can't be making dirty jokes and can't be 
um, doing these kind of things, but it's like, you know, that's exactly what God said to me. And, and when I say said, like just communicated through my whole being, it's like, who do you think invented do dirty humor? Me, right? I understand your humor. I understand you. I, and, and I remember God showing me that it had been like almost in my perspective with me, but also seeing all other perspectives. And so it had, it, you know, like when you feel the most separate and the most abandoned, it's like, I've been with you through all of it. I know every thought you've had, I know every feeling you've had, I know every physical sensation, I know all your friends, I know where you went, I know what you did, I know why you did it. Like, I get you on every level. And um, when you realize that's kind of a, a deeper truth, um, the religion becomes less important. I think I read somewhere that two thirds of people who have a near death experiences uh, leave their religion the very next day. And I don't think it's, it's necessarily like the religion becomes wrong and bad, but you just sort of outgrow it. And you start, you realize that you can use the pieces that are beneficial to you, but you don't necessarily get trapped in like, I got to be a good boy to get into heaven. So God won't punish me for all of existence. I'm like, no, he makes penis jokes. He loves me already the way I am. Right. So you don't have to, you don't have to try so hard anymore. Okay, so so is that is that a devil entity then in, in now your new worldview? Is there a, a devil entity, a satanic entity? Um, are there satanic forces on the planet? Like obviously, there's a lot of stuff happening in, in the world right now. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of people feel there's there's a spiritual war going on, and, and there are demonic forces here. There's an elite group which are trying to bring hell on earth, um, and then there's the spiritual healers that are trying to stop it. I mean, what what's your view on that? And 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 you know what about obviously the, the satanic figure first and, and what's happening in the world right now. Um, as far as the, um, the satanic figure, there definitely is. And, but Satan is not what, what people think it is in terms of a religious duality where he's this guy who's going to take your soul and bring it to the pit of fire and just basically torture you for being a lawyer forever and ever. <laughs> he's going to say, you're a lawyer. We got lots of lawyers down here. Let's just punish you some more. Um, But what's, what Satan is, is like a being that represents the totality of all fear, of all separation, of all those sort of dark negative states. And, um, and you know, deceptive would, would still be true, but it, it's, it's for a different end than people think it is. It is not to like, to, like I said, to bring you to the pit of fire, gotcha. God screwed up on you. I'm going to take you to the pit of fire. And ultimately, even that negative expression, which is hard to understand from like a, a human level perspective, is also us. And it exists for the simple reason that if there was only loving, joyous happiness, then there would be no possibility of choice at all. You would just have to exist in one state forever. And so the darkness is not really even darkness in a sense. It just exists so that you have the possibility of another path, but we all ultimately return to the light, to the wholeness, to the totality of all that is. There's, 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 there's literally no opposition to that. Um, now, as far as what's happening on earth, I think for anybody who's paying attention, it's pretty obvious that like, what is in charge of this planet is darkness today. I mean, the, if, if you consider that the definition of Satan in that definition to mean fear, separation, you know, worry, anxiety. And then you look at the news media just broadcasting fear of germs, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, like 24-7 um, constantly, then it, you know, it's a pretty accurate description for what's running the show. But I also think 
um, you know, this is just my perspective. I'm not trying to put my perspective on anybody else, but I also think that there's an awakening happening at, at such a, a fast speed that so much of what you're seeing right now is a last ditch effort to try and stop that. And it, it's actually driven by desperation, not by power and, and what it seems like. Because on the human level, it can seem very all powerful and controlling when all of a sudden, like, you know, here, I go to the beach, the government's like, we got to shut down the beach, the boogie monster is going to get you, you're all going to infect each other, you're going to kill each other, and you're going to die. And, you know, I try to tell them in the, my broken Spanish, and I'm like, I've been healthy for 20 years. Our species has existed for 300,000 years. If, if, if healthy people like me running around made the world a really bad place, we just wouldn't have made it 300,000 years. Like, where's your brain? But you can hear just the fear programming that's been put into to people. And it's, I find that kind of definitely pretty insidious. But at the same time, it's like part of the reason I see it doing that is because it's losing. It's, it's losing and it doesn't know what to do about the fact that in some ways, I think this, this kind of covert system that is used to control people is now way more overt. And I, I know a lot of people who've, you know, have been suddenly red pilled, if you will, you know, use the matrix analogy in the last year that had would never, you know, I was talking with, uh, you know, my girlfriend's parents and they're like, did you know 9-11 wasn't done by the guys in the caves across the world? I'm like, no shit. And, you know, I knew that for 20 years, but thank you for, uh, for finally coming on board and realizing, you know, these people are not your friends and they're not protecting you from the boogeyman. Okay, so obviously you've had these experiences and, and, and you know, obviously they've been life-changing. So I suppose from, from a general, and, and, and so the next question I'm gonna ask is, you know, there's two answers to it. There's the, there's the general and maybe a more specific personal, so, you know, what then is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of consciousness? Why are we here? what is the point like are we trying to ascend to another level and is there several levels or do we just go straight back to the whole like what is the whole meaning and point of it all um this is just from my perspective after you know 10 years of doing this stuff 12 years or whatever it's been um the answer itself is very easy but living the answer is is very complex which is it's it's so mind-bogglingly simple that most people don't think of it the purpose of life is the experience of life itself. That's it. And so like people are looking for some, you know, like to get into heaven or some reward later, but the purpose is the existence of life itself to live, to experience, to what gets complicated is when you realize that life is creation and you have a blank canvas to paint it any way you want becomes what do I want to experience? How do I want to impact the world? And, you know, who do I want to grow into? And if you're somebody that's like very growth oriented, then you will probably reinvent yourself over and over and over and over as something bigger throughout your life. And so that's going to happen. But um, I'm 12 years into answering that question and I still struggle with it daily. I spend a lot of time journaling. Who am I? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? What are my goals? Who do I want to impact? And um, but the, the, the understanding of it is simple. And, and I experienced this a lot because for a lot of years, I helped people like find their purpose. That was a big thing that I was doing for a while. And most people were looking to find purpose and like everything else it's created. So you decide what is purposeful to me. 
You know, you start to look at what are the little purposeful things that I'm already doing? And they can be simple. They don't have, like people always think like, I got to save the planet or something like that. And it's way too big, but it could be just something as simple as like, if I juice vegetables every day, I feel a little bit healthier. And I notice when I do that, my kids drink juice with me or my spouse drinks juice with me and we all get a little bit healthier. And that's a little bit more purposeful way to start a day than if I just, you know, have some frosted flakes or whatever. And so it, it's, it's usually like a lot of little things built on itself. But what ends up happening as, at least for me, as you go through this transformation is you start to live way more intentional and disconnect yourself from the rules of society. So like for me, I'll give you like one of the first rules that I decided I was getting rid of for myself is like, I just hated waking up to an alarm clock. The alarm clock was just, a, I'm not a morning person. It's the bane of my existence. And it's just an awful sound. Eh, eh, eh. And you got to hit snooze like three or four times to get out of bed. And then you got to rush because you hit three snooze three or four times. Um, so that was like my first intention is like, I'm going to wake up the way I want to wake up. And then it was like, I'm going to, gonna eat right, I'm gonna set my mind straight, I'm gonna work with the people I wanna work, I'm gonna do it on the hours I wanna to do it. I'm not gonna be forced to, to punch a clock. You know, I noticed when I used to have like an eight hour job, I, uh, I spent a lot of the day just wasting time so I could make my eight hours, right? I'm like, I don't wanna do that. I'd, I'd rather just, if I'm gonna work four hours and be there eight, why don't I just work four hours and, and not be there eight at all, right? And, and you start to add up all these little things and then your life becomes more meaningful. Now that, that expression is different for everybody. So I can't like give you an answer, but I, there's definitely good questions you can ask yourself that help you get to those truths a lot faster, but that's it. The purpose of life is life. It's not any more complicated than that. What do you want to experience? Brilliant. Okay. I mean, I mean I'm conscious of the time now, but we've talked a lot about obviously the ayahuasca and stuff, but we haven't quite touched upon the, you know, the, the natural way, to, to release DMT and, and, you know, have you yourself um, had these experiences without taking an external substance? Have you been able to do it from just meditation and, and spiritual practices? Um, and, and just talk us through that. I have been, um, I would say like with ayahuasca, if I, if I do it with, you know, like a master shaman or, um, you know, down in Peru, like, a hundred times out of a hundred, I'm going to reach those states. Like you just, you can't not, it's inevitable. With meditation, I'm probably batting like 10, 20%. Um, and part of it for me is, is I have a familiarity of those states from the chemical substances. So they can be easier to access. I don't think I, I was ever able to do it with meditation pre ayahuasca, uh, but I've definitely had some like meditation states that were as intense as any substance I've ever had. And, um, but you know, there, there's challenges with meditation. Part of like actually what makes ayahuasca work is you like, is not just the substance itself and the shaman, but like you've, you've gone on a plane halfway across the world, you've blocked out a week to do nothing else but this, you're disconnected from technology. So you've only got one thing on your plate. When you're doing meditation, it could be the phone's ringing or I like hear them doing construction two houses over right now. You know, there's other things to contend with. Um, but it definitely, definitely, you do not need a substance at all to access these states. And I actually think the, uh, one of the, the best ways to do this is some of the stuff that uh, Wim Hof teaches, the breathing method can, can actually take you quite deep in trance. Uh, Joe Dispenza has some really good uh, meditations as well um, for taking you into those things. And you don't, need, you don't need those either, I shouldn't say. They're just tools and strategies that can make it easier. Um, but if you're interested in having those and you're just not a substance kind of person, 
They also tend to, to come on more gently when you do them with meditation, because it's a more gradual transition. As we're ayahuasca, you just feel the moment the substance has hit your blood and you go, okay, the journey begins and the intensity uh, starts. So there, there's some real benefits to doing it with meditation. It's less of a shock to the system because you can like much more gradually ease your way into those states of consciousness. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You don't, you don't need to take anything to, to yeah. get there. Okay. And brilliant again. And um, obviously the, the, when the first time I came across DMT was, uh, you know, the, the book DMT, the spirit molecule by Dr. Mm -hmm. Strassman. And you know, it's been about 10, 15 years since I've, I've read that book. But at the time, you know, one of the, the memories that I've got is, when, when people were having these trials, you know, some people were having absolutely amazing experiences, life-changing experiences, whereas other people were having terrifying experiences. And, you know, they, they were petrified. They, they were having absolutely awful experiences. And the entities that they were coming across were negative and invoking fear. Um, and a lot of it, if, if I remember correctly, what, what Rich Strassen was saying is that the experience that people had was um basically in connection with how they were feeling before so if they were living a life of stress and anxiety they were more likely to to, to have this experience of, of fear whereas those that were more peaceful and, and happy were, were likely to have um a, a happy experience so how does that fit in with obviously people who are going in with trauma they're obviously going in with a negative state will they have a negative experience and does that have an impact or or does it not matter it certainly can. I'll tell you that, you know, as you mentioned, like, I think in some ways ayahuasca um, doesn't like create fear. That's, I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. I think it, it more, what it actually does is it shows you the fear you've always been creating all along. So for me, when my anxiety started to build and intensify, it wasn't like bringing me it wasn't like making me afraid. It was just showing me this is, this is how I already live. And eventually it brought it on so intensely that it kind of reaches a breaking point where you're like, I just don't want to do that anymore. And I'm willing to do whatever the hell it takes, whatever that is in order to let it go. And part of um, why the shaman is so important is because they have the ability to, to see you going into those states. And it's not really that hard to tell. Like if, if somebody's like really terrified you know, there's only about 8,000 signs, even if you've never taken a substance in your life that they're terrified. What the shaman brings is, is knowing, like, for example, there's a spirit I work with called white acaspi. It's a, a tree. We call it the air tree because when you bring in the energy of the white acaspi, it's just a very light and fluffy energy. So if I see somebody freaking out, the first thing I'm going to do is call in a light, airy tree and pull them out of that place because I know the power of their mind. If they've if they see fear and they react to fear, it's just going to create a loop where they're just going to like very quickly spiral out. And with ayahuasca, there's no end to the intensity of that. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to just create a space around everybody that's very light, very airy and pull them into that energy so that they don't have to like freak out because it took me a long time to realize you don't necessarily have to heal trauma in trauma. There's this misnomer that if you had all this trauma, as you brought up that like, you've got to relive it and go through it. And I actually remember when I was going through that anxiety, as I mentioned, I, I asked the, uh, the head medicine spirit of ayahuasca, just kind of like telepathically, like your conversations are kind of like, you hear them as almost like, it sounds a little schizophrenic, but you hear them as very distinct voices in your head. You can hear your own normal talking sound and you hear the spirit communicating with you telepathically. And um, 
what I said is like, we call it Papa Tua. And I remember said, said Papa Tua, like, why do I have this anxiety? And then it just built for like 45 minutes. And it was so just like anxious and just like, like I said, like I felt like I had 25 cups of coffee back to back. And then I remember saying like, Papa Tua, like, why are you doing this to me? And he said, well, you asked why you have anxiety. I'm showing you the answer. And I remember I, I said, yeah, but don't I have to, to know why I have this in order to release it? And it's funny because the spirits themselves come from this place of unity. And so they don't actually have personality. So they use your own personality to communicate with you. So Papa Tua looked at me and said, fuck no, right? Because I swear, you don't need to know where this shit comes from. If you, if you tell me, just let it go. And we'll just let it go. She said, okay, how about let it go? And I, I remember I instantly felt like a planet-sized shit just instantly. And I like, I remember sprinting to the bathroom just be like, please God, nobody be in the bathroom. I'm like, I have to go so bad, oh my God. Like I'm not shitting my pants in front of these people. And I remember I got there and it still cracks me up to this day. I sat down on the toilet in like a real urgency and you know, thank God nobody was in the bathroom. There were, there, there was like six or eight of them, <laughs> but I found an open one. And I remember all of a sudden I felt this planet inside, inside me and I couldn't um, easily let it go. And I remember um, saying like, Papa Tua, how am I gonna, how am I gonna release this? Like my butthole's this big and this poo's like, feels like a planet inside me. And he said, hey, you just asked to be rid of it. The Drano is your problem. And, and I've learned as I've done that is, you know, as joking as it is, the spirits and energy and creation is quite literal. So when I asked why I had it and I needed to know all the ins and outs, it showed me why my life was miserable. When I said, how do I release it? It released it instantly. And I've realized since if you ask questions like, how do I release it gently, easily, and gracefully, then and that's, that's it. Right. That's a very different path as well, right? And so where a lot of people get it wrong is when you've been having a trauma, like, and there's all kinds of reasons. It could be, you know, some kind of accident. It could be, you know, a rape or things like that. Like people have like, you know, real kind of like difficult traumas that they bring to these kind of ceremonies. Often they come with the preconceived idea that the only way to release it is to relive it a hundred times. And it's really, really the opposite is, is learning to anchor in a new energy that replaces it, a new sort of creation, a new idea, a new concept of you that just doesn't have the old one, right? It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, if, you're, if you've been 500 pounds and you're trying to get in shape for the first time in your life, then you just replace those things with walking and with eating healthy and you know doing healthy things. You don't need to go into all the reasons why you were 500 pounds for the last 10 years. You just make yep. a new decision to be somebody new and you, you act on that decision. And so I think it's a real misnomer that people think, um, but absent a shaman, most people, the, just the sheer intensity of DMT that they will react to what they see and create more of it. And so whatever they start with is just gonna build and build and build and build and build. And they won't have somebody who's like, hold on, come back over here to this space we're calling medicine and healing, where it's a lot more gentle and it's a lot more graceful. And it's, you know, you can float on a cloud and heal your trauma instead of having to, to feel like you're reliving it and having flashbacks. So all of those are possible, but the, the thing about it, and my master Sean put it really, really simply is, there's no such thing as ayahuasca because for you to take ayahuasca, there has to be a you plus an ayahuasca. And that combination of you plus ayahuasca is not just ayahuasca. So it's, it's a little bit different for everybody. I, I never really know for sure 
how somebody's going to react to it. I mean, I, I could go on all, honestly, I could go on all day talking about this, but obviously I'm conscious of the time. So let's just wrap up in this just final segment. In, in the Islamic tradition, obviously we've got uh, beings that are known as, as jinn and, and these are yeah, I know the beings um, made of smokeless fire, which as Muslims, we're not really allowed to, well, we're not allowed to communicate with them. So these beings that you're speaking to, are they jinn or are jinn something else? Um, and, 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 you know, is there a link with, with what's happening with possibly the, the alien sightings and, you know, people just talk of there's going to be an alien invasion or a fake alien invasion. Is there a link between that and, and on all of this or, or, you know, what's your thoughts on, on that? Um, this is a little bit of a difficult question because I don't want to offend anybody's religious belief, but this, this is just my take on it. So if it doesn't fit with you, just like, don't take it. I'm, yeah, I'm not trying to... Um, but I think jinns are one of these concepts that are a religious concept used to control people. Okay. And, and I don't, I don't think spirit is either good or bad. Spirit just is like, there are good in aspects within it. Um, I think part of the reason that they tell people like, don't go in these like infinite experiences because you're way easier to control if you're caught in the illusion that physical reality is all there is. And you got to be a little good little boy or girl and follow whatever, you know, your, the religious book of your upbringing is in order to please this sort of angry, vengeful God. And when you get to the other side of it, you find out that like what we would call God or Yahweh or Allah or whatever name you want to give it um, is the, is the opposite. It, it only has one capacity, which is to love you through and through. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't make beings that are like screwed up and, and you know, that it has to cast away into the fire. And so I think a lot of that is just people are easy to control when they're less in knowledge and, and less afraid. So I think there is an aspect of the religion that's designed and, and that's not me picking on Islam because all of the religions have those aspects that are used um, um, for that, as far as the, the other stuff you mentioned about, you know, the alien sightings, I honestly don't know. I mean, I have met beings from other worlds in my experiences. Um, although more often than not, believe it or not, most of the stuff that we do in our healing journeys involves connecting with healing plants. So most of my journeys have actually been talking to trees and, and like you meet like head medicine spirits of a tree. Like we don't realize this, but a tree is made up of you know, atoms and particles, and they're moving at a high rate of speed. And it's, it's kind of in its way, it's its own self-contained little universe. And it has the light and the dark within it. And when you meet the head medicine spirit, they have their whole own worlds and things like that. And so um, most of what I've done has been with that, but I've definitely experienced um, some of those extraterrestrials. One thing I know for sure that, and you can take it for what you will, is when you realize that the purpose of life is life and that there is an infinite creation behind it and it's intelligent and it creates life, is you suddenly realize everything has consciousness in it. Everything, even the things that we don't normally think of, like when you look at a stone on the ground, you don't normally think, oh, that's a conscious stone. Um, but it has a spirit. It is. It has some level of awareness. And if you connect with it, it can connect back with you. So every planet is at least in some way alive. It's, it's very funny to us who've experience this truth when somebody's like you know we're looking in the universe we can't find life anywhere and it's like it's literally only life in every direction but it's a matter of perception right um how that fits into like you know this kind of like 
spiritual battle that's playing out on earth right now i have no idea that's probably above my pay grade uh, i don't even speculate about that because i i just honestly don't know um although i'm certainly you know aware of the effects of, of seeing what's going on right now like it's uh, it's definitely whatever cycles we were going through as a species have accelerated i'll tell you that it's like yep. it's Nobody would say that right now is a boring time to be alive. Maybe not a happy time, but nobody would say it's a boring time. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, it's been absolutely fascinating. So any last words? I mean, obviously there's a lot of people going through uh, a difficult time right now with what's happening in the world. So any last words for them and how can people connect with you? Where can they find out more information about you and, and, and speak to you? Um, you know, if, 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 if you're going through the the kind of just heaviness of the world. Like I think more than ever connecting with like-minded people is, is just more important than ever because, um, you know, we experienced this in a small way where like we were in Germany hanging with my girlfriend's family and they're really beautiful, but they're like, kind of like, you know, as much as I love them, they're like simple village people that have lived in a tiny village their whole life. And there's just aspects of them, of us that they, they can't even possibly comprehend. Right. And so you know, one of the, the things that makes you feel the most alone and the most cut off is just being around people who don't get you and, and you can have the capacity to kind of think bigger than them and, uh, and they can't follow you and, and how you see the world and those things. So however you do it, like for me, I keep touch friends, over, like my like-minded people, I got a list of them all. They're on WhatsApp, they're on Telegram, they're on Facebook, like as many places as humanly possible, connect with like-minded people and you'll feel less cut off and less separate and more understood. And the more you feel understood, the more even the, as the world goes crazy and, and you know loves to go for a couple spins in the fear game, uh, you don't have to join them. You don't have to play that game. And as far as if you wanna connect with me, I'd say the best place is, is to start with if, you, if you're, um, you know, in my kind of business, I, I wrote a book called Beyond the Agency Box, which you can get on Amazon, it has some pretty awesome reviews, which I'm super stoked about. Like, I really appreciate people taking the time to do that. You never quite know when you write a book if people are going to like it or not. But it, it's, it's for people who, who want to, you know, work anywhere, make or make their money anywhere around the world and, you know, live that kind of lifestyle. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's 10 bucks and it's a good read. So. Brilliant. And, and can I connect with you on Facebook or anywhere or LinkedIn? Yeah, or absolutely. My yep. last name is F-I-H-N, but yeah, you can connect with Brilliant. me. Facebook's and, probably the best place. Cool. And I will drop the links below the video as always. Well, Frankie, it's been absolutely, it's been a pleasure. A fascinating conversation. A big, big thank you for being here and, and sharing your wisdom. Um, as for everybody else, hit the subscribe button and drop any comments and questions that you have as a result of this um, episode. And I will see you in the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot if you would please rate and write a review. Please also subscribe so you get notified anytime a new episode drops. Thank you for tuning in. Now go out and attack your Minotaur.